book of Philippians this morning. I'll take this moment to introduce our guest speaker for today. Our guest speaker is my brother, Nate Allen. Uh, many of you have made comment to the fact that he looks a lot like me. I appreciate the way you worded it. I do not look like him. He looks like me. Firstborn, lastborn, just for clarification. Just because he's taller does not give him any advantage at all. Uh, Nate will be bringing our message this morning. He'll be preaching from the book of Ruth. And I'll be taking the scripture reading from the book of Philippians. The concept that's in Philippians will be the same concept he'll preach from Ruth. So I'll read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 11, if you'll follow along. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This has been our scripture reading. It is um, as my brother mentioned, my name is Nate Allen. Um, I get to serve as one of the pastors at Providence Baptist Church in New Albany, Indiana. Um, I bring greetings from the brothers and sisters at Providence Baptist Church to you. Um, they love you, and they pray for you, and they send their love to all of you here. Um, as we come together this morning, though, we come to study the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible with you, if you would take it and turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth, I heard that you did a study as a church through Ruth here recently, just a few months ago. And so perhaps even with the words of Peter, I come not to teach you new things, but to remind you of the truth, perhaps that you already walk in. And so this morning we'll come to Ruth, and just a moment we'll begin before we do, let's take a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time studying His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us, especially Your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That You love us and You are for us. We take that as comfort in our hearts. That it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but simply through the shed blood, the perfect work of Jesus, that You offer us forgiveness of our sins and acceptance with You. And so thank You. We pray this morning as we come now to Your Word that by the Spirit's power, 
you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things that are written here. That even as we see this story from this ancient saint and her life and her testimony of your grace at work in her and through her, we would be compelled that we would find an example. But even bigger than that, our hearts would soar in worship, not of Ruth this morning, but of Jesus. And so bless our time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we find a biography of a real life. We'll see this morning, this is a real life filled with authentic suffering and true acts of worship and of love. This little book shows that God works the extraordinary, even through the ordinary events in life. This book is a little unique in the Old Testament. Because as you read along through the Old Testament, you, you find overt supernatural works of God. When you come to Ruth, it seems like somebody turned the dial down, tamed all of the supernatural, and you get quite an ordinary story. Here in Ruth, instead of fire and thunder in the sky and, and miraculous signs from God crippling a nation's economy like you'd find in Exodus with a king arguing against God, you'd find here in Ruth a famine, some funerals, a farm story. Not that spectacular, you would say. Normal, everyday life. And so if you're reading along in your Bible, it's kind of like going from the big movie all the CGI and explosions and spaceships and things happening, and now we just take it to a documentary. Let's just see somebody's individual real life. It seems a little bit anticlimactic. But in both Exodus and in Ruth, the same God is undeniably and awesomely at work. You find here, even as we study this morning, I think we'll find a story that tells of the kindness of God through the love of another. We'll find here what we'll call even an unexpected love story. And so let us look at this beautiful love story. For context, as we come to read the text now, it's a historical book. It's meant to give the backstory for the most famous genealogy in world history. Now, genealogy at first is a genealogy, a, an ancestry, a lineage of King David, the great monarch of Israel. But ultimately, as we understand that all the pages of this book have been synced together by the wisdom of God to point at one person, Jesus of Nazareth, we understand this story is actually the lineage, the ancestry, the telling of the story of one of Jesus' great ancestors, his genealogy. As we come in Christ, we find even here we might call it our family story. Ruth 1, verse 1. I'll read to verse 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. In the name of his two sons, Malan and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. They lived there a while. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives 
of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, the namesake of this book. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malin and Kilian died, also both of them. And the woman, Naomi, was left of her two sons and her husband. We start the book here, the introduction, setting the scene, you might say, for Act 1 of the story. That here you find a family that's moved away from their home country during a famine. Their immigrants moved out into a new territory because back home there's no food. We know as we read the book before this, the book of Judges, that it seemed like God was sequentially sending famines. The the lack of food, the lack of food to eat as judgment for those who would consistently turn to idols, to stop worshiping Him, lack of faith in Him. One of the ways He would bring them back is through the hard moments in their lives, like famines. In the midst of that circumstance of a famine there in Bethlehem, this family simply packs up and moves to a foreign country, enemy territory, Moab. It's there in that foreign country, as we just saw in verses 1-5, through the story kind of escalates quickly. It's like, here is Naomi, and Elimelech, and Malin, and Kilian. And it's almost like, man, this is going to be a good story. Alright, tell me about these people. It's like, and Elimelech died. Verse 3. It's like, well, I guess he's not going to be part of the story. And verse 5, and Malin and Kilian died. I guess they're not going to be part of the story. Like so quickly introducing characters and then pulling them off of the stage. You find here the story moving so quickly. But you have to realize the human cost in this moment. What has Naomi just experienced when we read five verses? This would be the worst tragedies that anyone could ever imagine. She loved her husband, Elimelech, and he's dead. He's gone. No more Elimelech's voice echoing across the house. But that's okay, you know. Malin still had his eyes and Killian had his hands. I see my boys. I'm reminded of sweet Elimelech. But then she loses both her sons. The book of Ruth is a book filled with tears. That's why it's a real story. If you live in this world, it will hurt. Life will be filled with tears like that. Some of you, friends, brothers and sisters, may have attended a funeral sometime this past week or this past month. You may have wept and felt the weight of the human cost that you see here in Naomi's life. See her story. See it as the reality of suffering in a broken, fallen world that King Jesus will come fix someday. But until then... We cry, we weep, we grieve the loss of those we love. You see, here you find Naomi with the unthinkable. No parent should outlive their children. But here in the wisdom of God, Naomi outlives both her sons and her husband. A widow with no sons. So the story starts with three funerals. That's what we just saw. Naomi decides that she's going to now, because of such tragedy in a distant land, leave this place that reminds her of the loss of her husband and her sons. Every day, the same market just reminds about how her boys used to carry the bags for her. I need to get out of this place. I don't want to be around here. And so Naomi decides to return to her home country of Israel 
And that sets the stage for the rest of the book. She tells her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, I'm headed home to Israel. I know it's not where you're from. You're from here in Moab. The people there, Naomi knows, are not kind to Moabites. Stay here. It'll be better for you if you just stay here. I'm leaving. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, one of the daughters-in-law responds. Verse 16 and 17. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. Don't ask me to leave you, Naomi, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught, if anything, but death part thee and me. Here you have one of these daughters-in-law. Here's Naomi's appeal to stay behind in Moab. And she answers quickly, don't ask me to leave you, Naomi. I I want to follow after you. She lays out here, this ancestor of Jesus, lays out here perhaps one of the most famous covenant statements in the Old Testament. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. It's a covenant statement because what you see there, as you look at verse 17, perhaps if you have a King James translation of God's Word in front of you, the word LORD in all capitals, Ruth draws out the covenant name of God and says, and may Yahweh, may Jehovah God judge me if I disobey what I just promised to you. I make a vow to you, a commitment, and this is a till-death-do-us-part commitment. She puts her own life on the line. She says, I will give all of myself for you, Naomi. No matter what comes, no matter what's needed, I commit myself to you. And may God Himself judge me if I don't keep my word. The level of commitment at the beginning of the story and what you just see now as the author of Ruth is telling you what the story is all about. Ruth will leave everything. Ruth will follow Naomi till death do us part. Ruth will give up her past, give up her people, give up her culture, give up her safety to commit herself to a broken-hearted old widow. Now when you watch the movie, this is the part where the music builds and you're like, <laughs> and you feel it in your heart because you're like, She's, she cares for the old lady. And you're so excited for her, you're like, that's such a good part. Verse 19, we'll read 19 to 21. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? They recognized their friend who lived here years ago. She's come home. Oh, it's Naomi. She's missing some people. And Naomi said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara is the word for bitter, crushed, broken. 
for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has afflicted me. As you read this, I hope you feel a little bit of what I feel of the awkwardness of what we just read. Because from verses 16 to 17, Ruth is like, I am with you. I am yours. I'm going to care for you till death do us part. And Naomi, the very first people she sees with Ruth standing next to her is like, I went out full and now I've got nothing. Right, right next to you. Little Ruth. Just, just pushed off in the background. I heard one preacher describe her as basically invisible in this text. I left full, but now I've returned empty. Had she returned empty? No. She thought her husband and sons were all that she had, but God was going to use the most unexpected, invisible person in her life to rewrite Naomi's story. The whole book is about how this little throwaway, nothing, empty girl is going to take Naomi's story and give it a glorious ending. Wasn't I lost everything? It was, I may have lost a lot, but God gave me this daughter of gold, Ruth. Those words don't come off. Naomi's words are, I left full, but now I'm empty. The next three chapters, which we won't study, you'll find the two chapters in the middle tell this story. It's the story that, that transparently, Shakespeare wishes he wrote. It's so masterfully woven together with characters who are developing and changing. It's a beautiful story of Ruth and how Ruth will give her strength and her time and her energy and her dreams of any other life to provide for and feed and care for Naomi. In chapter 2, it's thankless, but Ruth is committed to loving Naomi. Ruth is out working in the hot sun day in and day out, coming home and making food to care for the helpless old widow. I don't imagine that little Ruth, as she played back in Moab, dreamed of the day where she could move to a foreign country and care for a grumpy old lady. This was not the future that she had pictured or even hoped for, but this is the one that she had committed herself to. This is a testimony of Ruth's life as you move through chapter 2. She gave of herself tirelessly to the thankless task of helping an old widow. In the New Testament, James. I heard you're studying the book of James, church. James calls caring for widows pure religion. James 1.27 This is the quintessential. This is the key expression of true and right worship of God. To love and to care for those most needy among us. This is the heart of God Himself. The one who has all and is in need of nothing. Even we sang that. What do I bring? Empty hands. Because in this relationship, He has everything, I have nothing. He meets my needs. Those who are moved with the heart of God. As Ruth says, your God will be my God. She caught it. 
that his heart moves in compassion towards those who are in need. A little old widow cared for by Ruth. I'm reminded of a story I read many years ago. A woman named Ann Sullivan. Ann graduated from Perkins College in 1886. A time where hardly any women went to college. And even hardly any men. She graduated from her school as valedictorian, top of her class. Her future was bright. She was in a world of possibilities. Everything changed that year as Ann Sullivan received a message from a man named Arthur Keller. Arthur Keller reached out to Ann because Arthur was a father. And Arthur knew that Ann had studied education and said, I would love for you to consider coming and teaching my daughter. She's going to be a hard case. You see, Arthur's daughter was born, healthy little baby, but at 19 months old, she'd caught a fever. That fever had taken from her her sight and her hearing. She was now a little toddler, blind and deaf. She couldn't communicate with the outside world. She couldn't see it or hear it. For her, life was so frustrating, she would just screech and hit things. And this day, 1886, you would just take a child like that and place them in the asylum, and they'd be left to themselves until they died at an early age. Arthur reached out to Anne and said, Anne, would you consider coming and trying to help my daughter, Helen, to learn how to read, to learn how to speak? Anne Sullivan dedicated her life, her whole rest of her life, to one person. We know the name Helen Keller. Perhaps you know of Helen Keller, this woman. Everybody around the world might have even heard Helen Keller on speaking tours and writing tours. Helen Keller's name became known the world over as she was given opportunities to lecture around the world. A woman who couldn't see and couldn't hear but could talk, who had learned how to go through school. And Sullivan had spent every day of her life, the rest of her life, to make sure one person could learn. There's a biblical term for that. It's called loving kindness. The term is two words put together for us in English. Loving kindness. It's to be distinguished from general kindness. We can do kind things. I'm driving down the road. I choose to let someone out in front of me. I don't step on somebody's things. That was kind. We can do kindness. But when we speak of loving kindness, this is a step beyond Loving kindness looks at another person and for a moment it allows your heart to be moved by their hurts. Your heart to be moved by their needs. Your heart to be moved by their future. Loving kindness sees the need and moves toward in genuine compassion with selflessness that says, I want you to have what you need regardless of what it will cost me. You can show kindness to a person without actually loving them, but you cannot truly love a person without showing them kindness. As we come here in this story, Naomi Naomi did not see that the loving kindness of God was at work in her life when she gave this little nobody Ruth to her. Chapter 2 shows 
consistency as Ruth doesn't give up, doesn't quit, keeps pressing on to love and care for a thankless, rude, grumpy, bitter Naomi. Again, this is not Red Sea parting miracles. This is awe-inspiring love and kindness. One person to another. Friends, your, your life might not be marked by massive moves in the heavens, signs in the skies. It may just be that there are people that God has placed in your life who show you undeserved loving kindness. His kindness to you. Do not overlook. Do not miss the reality that God is at work and God loves you. His heart has moved in compassion toward you. In chapter 3, Ruth offers quite a bit more. In chapter 3, Naomi explained to Ruth that there was a way that Ruth, in this culture as a foreigner, could be provided for financially, with food, cared for for the rest of her life. She says, there's this cousin of mine that if you marry him, you and him will have property together. You'll have your own gardens, your own farms. If things work out right, it'll be good for you, Ruth. But it seems that Ruth's heart, even the story is bent in such a way that Ruth really goes along with it in a way because she knows it's going to benefit Naomi. Ruth isn't self-serving in this moment. She's not going, oh good, here's finally my golden parachute. I get to leave the naggy, grumpy old lady. Rather, she sees, if I go and do this, I think I'll be able to care for her even better. To extend... Kindness, even through another action, chapter 3, you find Naomi's deceased husband had had a cousin or a brother named Boaz that could carry on the family name if Ruth would be willing to marry him. Here in chapter 3, Ruth offers her future, her life, her singleness to love Naomi. Provide financial stability and safety for this little old widow. For Ruth to make this decision takes all the options off the table. But Naomi will be cared for. Naomi will be provided for. And Ruth moves forward in the story. The story moves to chapter 4 where we finish the story today. In chapter 4, the story crescendos. There's a marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And by the end of the chapter, there's a blessing in their marriage of a son. His name is Obed. You find Obed to be the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. So this son of Ruth and Boaz is David's grandfather. It's the telling of his story. But after the baby's born, you have to notice, look with me to chapter 4 of Ruth. Notice what the town says of the baby. What had Ruth done? by giving up her past and giving up her people and giving up her culture and giving up her future and giving up all of her possibilities, what had Ruth accomplished from the beginning of the story to verse 16? What happens? And Naomi, verse 16, chapter 4, took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, these are the ones who met her at the gate on the way in, her neighbors gave it a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. Not Ruth. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth 
had provided a baby for Naomi. This is all that Naomi had wanted from the day her sons and her husband died. And now Ruth, who gave all for this little old widow, had given her very womanhood, her womb, to see that Naomi could be cared for. Chapter 1, Ruth loves Naomi so much she gives up her past. Chapter 2, Ruth loves Naomi so much she's willing to give up her strength and her dreams to care for Naomi's every need. In chapter 3, Ruth loves Naomi so much that she gives up her future and offers herself to be married to Naomi's relative. And in chapter 4, Ruth loves Naomi so much that she uses her womb to provide a child to carry on Naomi's family name. As a matter of fact, when you read the book of Ruth, I think one of the most shocking realities is that the Hebrew word for to love is used only once in the entire book. I point that out because I said I see this as an unexpected love story. Many times I've heard this book taught, and it's taught about how Boaz and Ruth fall in love in those middle chapters. And perhaps that's true, except the author of Ruth never says that. The word love is used once, and you'll see where it is here in the middle of chapter 4, verse 15. As they sing, the women sing to Naomi how blessed she is to have even now this boy. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, has borne him. Love? Where does love appear? The daughter-in-law loved Naomi. That's the love story that's unexpected here. She actually, from the beginning of the story, said that too. I give up everything, seeing what you need, and I'll seek to make sure you have exactly what you need. Here you see the truth. It's not necessarily a love story between Boaz and Ruth, but rather a story about Ruth's radical, scandalous, self-sacrificial love for Naomi. All Naomi wanted from the beginning of the story was to have a son. And here, the love of one toss away, forgotten in the background, invisible Moabitist foreigner girl sticks the cherry on top of the story and says, here's a son. I know you lost the other ones. And the women knew this made her more valuable than if you had seven sons. Now think back with me for a moment, church. We began the story, and we hear here the beginning of the story, Ruth chapter 1. Who had lost everything and was left a poor, vulnerable widow? That was? Naomi. And Ruth. Ruth was a poor, vulnerable widow at the beginning of the story. Not just Naomi. Like, I think as we read along, I don't know about you, but as I read through the story, I forget almost instantly that Ruth is a poor, vulnerable widow. She's lost everything. She has nothing left. She doesn't even have her country or her family to lean on around her because she's left them. When I see how Naomi lives, I think, yeah, that poor old widow. Then I look at Ruth and I'm like, wow, what an incredible sister who leverages everything she has to care for somebody else. 
Her identity shifts from that of bitter widow to that of loving companion. One person in the story spends their entire story bitter and grieving and looking to the past, while the other finds purpose in life and in the midst of her suffering, trusts God through it. Ultimately, she finds not merely faith in God, but finds a way to while she hurts, while she fears, to minister to somebody else who's going through the same things. As we come to a close, there's something else we need to see as we look at the book of Ruth. That it was God who showed His kindness to Naomi through His servant Ruth. This is what God has done. That's why we would sing, Blessed be the Lord who has done this for you. Naomi has lost everything. She even thinks she's lost God's favor. The Lord hath dealt bitterly. It's all done between me and Him. And the women sing, No, He hasn't. The Lord loves you. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The love you felt through Ruth Ruth was just Ruth learning who God was. But bigger than that, friends, this morning, grander even than this beautiful story in the family history of our Savior, is that not only is this a love story, but the very Gospel of Jesus Christ is the same kind of love story. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God shows His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, grumpy old widow sinners, Christ died for us. Love of the Father has for His own that compelled Him to send His only begotten Son is the same love that filled the heart of the Son as He willingly submitted to the Father. I'm going to bring many sons to glory. God shows His love. And greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life, his home, his goods, his desires, his aspirations, her future, her womb for a friend. Greater love has no one. And Ruth does. Ruth lays down her life for Naomi. And now you can see what love is. Loving kindness. The love we see in Ruth is a faint shadow of the real thing. The archetype of true love. The love of Christ on the cross dying in the place of undeserving sinners. We had sinned against God and we were rightly going to be punished for that sin. But while we were yet sinners, for His great love wherewith He loved us, Christ died for us. The ungodly. In His love for us, Jesus offered Himself as a substitute for our sins. The punishment due us, Jesus says, Father, I'll take it on Myself. The hardships that Ruth would bear are just faint fragrances of the real suffering that her descendant Jesus would bear on the cross in our place. That you and me, if we would turn from our sin and put our faith in the saving work of Jesus, might have a different future. We might be saved. So what? 
Friend, you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You haven't made, you haven't made that step to say, I'm ready to give my life to Him. You sit on the fence between, between two ideas. I don't know about this. I come to Capital City Baptist on and off. I'm here from time to time. I'm just not sure if I'm going to be all the way in. If I really want to follow Christ and give my life to Him. I'm not really sure if I want to put away my sin and turn from it as it destroys and rots my soul. See the love of God towards you that you did not deserve. Turn from your sin and choose to follow after Him. Brothers and sisters this morning who are here and you are the saints of Jesus, His holy people marked out by His love, having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus through His loving sacrifice. Having been touched by the love of Christ in the Gospel, brothers and sisters, having become heirs with Jesus by His death and resurrection Christian, we are to live lives marked by love. There is no way around this. Transformed by His love for us, we now seek to live lives of radical, selfless, sacrificial love towards all those around us. Loving kindness becoming the very blood in our veins as we look at the world around us. We let go of our culture. We let go of our past. We let go of our pain when it, come, when it keeps us from loving someone else. And we lean in with the love of God towards those around us. The love that brought us new life becomes the very heartbeat and flows out of us into others. We would love even as you have been loved, John says. And that love is a caring love. It's not just an emotional love that moves your heart to say, mm, so sad. That loving kindness looks at the condition of someone else and says, what do I have in my capacity to help them? To love them? To care for their needs? A genuine love that, like Ruth, looks for the undercared, forgotten, and invisible. Those who might even seem a bit bitter and grumpy. Who that is not part of your family will you Seek to care for, perhaps by providing a meal for them? Visiting with them? Who that has a physical need, will you forego your comfort to alleviate their discomfort? Who, because Christ has loved you, will you choose to love? And understand that on this love of Christ who loved His own enemies, there are no limits for who you will love. Certainly not limited by their willingness to love you in return. I will love if you love me back. I'll give to you if you give back. The testimony of Ruth was that she loved the embittered Naomi. May you learn, brothers and sisters, to love even when nothing is the repayment. May you learn to love strangers because you've been loved. Husbands, Brothers, brother husbands, may you learn to love your wife as Christ loves His church and gave Himself for her. Parents, may you learn to love your children and spend time training them in the truths of Christ. And may, by God's grace, Capital City Baptist Church become this massive conduit of love.
where you care for one another. And having been cared so well by your brothers and sisters, you pour out the love of Christ on those around you in this town. Let's pray together. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for your abundant love for us. I ask that you would work in these, your people. I pray that they would be continually shaped by your character. That their hearts would be shaped after your own heart of love and compassion. I pray that you would let this group of believers, this church, be a church marked and known and identified by the love they have for one another. We thank you for your love for us. Strengthen us now by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You remain with your head just a moment. I would like to give an opportunity, perhaps, if